Welcome back to License to Spiel. I'm Thad Haight. And I'm Carl Wonders. And this week we're talking about The World is Not Enough. This movie is sort of the end of an era, because it's our last, it's our final movie with Desmond Llewellyn as Q. It is. It's our final movie with a BMW, which is less sad. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it's the last movie in the 20th century. Yeah. So it's 1999, I think, is when this one came out. Yes. I mean, you normally talk more about the rest of that. Yeah, yeah, I can do that. So, yeah, this movie... uh, (laughs) It's been so long, I've gotten out of the groove here. Um, So this this movie was directed by a gentleman by the name of Michael Apted, who's mostly known for doing a lot of documentary uh, stuff. There's a... There's a series called the seven ups which is about follows these kids uh that they release a movie every seven years uh somebody else did the first one and then he picked it up and they've been doing them for the past i don't know how long um so that's mainly what he's known for uh so i guess he was an interesting choice for this movie we're, we're still in this era of we're just going to change directors every time we do a movie uh in the bond franchise uh, this movie was written by uh, Neil Purvis and Robert Wade and also Bruce Firestein, who wrote uh, Tom- Tomorrow Never Dies. And Purvis and Wade, I think, are, you know, this is their first one out the gate, but they're going to keep keep around. I, I, don't, I don't know if they wrote uh, No Time to Die, but they've written every other Bond film ever since this one uh, to varying degrees of success, I would say. <laughs> Man, it's... That is fascinating to think about that the same people who wrote Die Another Day also wrote Casino Royale. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, but there's the Paul Haggis effect, I guess, because, you know, he did such a bang-up job with Crash that he must have saved Casino Royale or something. I don't know. Alright, so, No no Time to Die is also written by Neil Purvis and Robert Wood. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) So, this movie, you know, we open in Spain, and uh-huh. this... From not what, sure why we're in Spain, no, I'm but not yes. Sure, I'm not sure why we're in Spain visiting a Swiss banker in Spain, uh, other than that yeah. there's interesting like, architecture here. The, f- <laughs> the fact that it is in Bilbao has nothing to do with the plot. No, I haven't seen... I, I should go back to the Blu-rays and stuff to see all the... You know, if they have deleted scenes and stuff. My understanding is that this was a much longer movie that they cut a whole bunch of stuff out of, especially at the beginning. And I will say it took me a few viewings to actually figure out, figure out what was going on at the beginning of this movie. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's They bad. should release it's, the Apted cut. The Apted the cut, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't think it's, it's distracting to the point where you can't enjoy the movie the first time out, but... I remember in the theater watching this and having a lot of moments of like, wait, what's going on? Who's this Electra person? What are they, what kidnapping? You know, that, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, They do sort of just like, they introduce the element of the kidnapping very oddly, I think, mm -hmm. with just showing the CNN story. Yeah. Or not CNN, BBC story. Right. It's, yeah. I mean, it works, but yes, I agree. I, I think you can tell that there was going to be more exposition. And, and I actually wonder if this movie were to come out today, if they would have just said, the heck with it, we're going to put out a two and a half hour movie because they're always putting out two and a half hour movies these days. Well, I mean, No Time to Die is like, 
yeah. really long, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So anyway, we're yeah, we're in Spain. We don't know why we're in Spain, and Bond just walks into the Swiss <laughs> banker's office that also has cigars. I guess. I mean, is you're the cigar person? Is, is Spain known for its cigars, or is this just some rad, random Cuban thing that they threw in because? Why not? So the cigars are Romeo and Julieta, which I think may be Spanish. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's a real brand of cigar. Uh, okay. Not not the Nicaraguan. Uh, oh, okay. I don't <laughs> well, know if they make if they if they do cigars in Spain, but you know, I would I it would certainly make sense to me that cigars would be popular in Spain because mm-hmm. they are very popular in Latin America and. Yeah, there was been definitely been some cultural transference both ways there. Sure, yeah. I did notice the cigars, obviously, and, you know, paid enough attention to figure out what, what label they yeah. were. Uh, Romeo and Julieta are fine. They're okay. not, like, one of my favorite, one of my go-to brands, but they're fine. Okay. They're I mean, not, like, some amazing, like, ridiculously expensive cigar, though. Okay. Which you'd almost expect Bond to be a snob about that. Maybe. Yeah, he's, he's a snob about everything else. Um... Right. Yeah, I, I think the cigar is there just to set up that stupid joke later. Oh, it absolutely but, is. Yeah, and then I so, know just so, where to put that. Um, <laughs> and then Bond gets his usual, you know, the the cigar lady hands him the receipt with the numbers on it, and he's. Would you like to check my figures? Oh, I'm sure they're perfectly round enough. Yeah. So. Yeah, you know, one thing I have not missed one bit is the lack of most of that from in the Craig era. Uh, No, it. I have have not missed the. I haven't missed the entendres, and I certainly haven't missed the. We have to end the movie with everyone see watching Bond have sex. I really haven't missed that. Which really starts in. I mean, it wasn't so much in Goldeneye because they're going off to the helicopter, but after that, it's yeah consistent. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's that it was Roger Moore was what started that, but oh, yes. Oh yeah, but, but at least Rosen. then, but at least then you got lines like just keeping the British end up, mm-hmm. which I, it appears he's attempting re-entry. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's way. That's much more amusing than must be a premature form of the Millennium Bug. What? Oh, we'll get there. But this movie ends on the worst line in film history, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it's still better than Margaret Thatcher. Yes. <laughs> Oh God, Margaret Thatcher! Why? Why? <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Okay. I don't even remember which movie was that in. That's uh, uh, Fear Eyes Only. Ah, uh, yes, it was. Because they jump off into the water and leave the watch with the parrot. That's right. Yeah. And that parrot comes back in. Uh, yeah. Full of big daylights. That's right. <laughs> Random parrot. <laughs> That parrot I some... choose to believe it's the that, same parrot. That parrot is a great agent. <laughs> Watch the that parrot's gonna come back again in uh in uh No Time to Die. Just wait. I'm calling it now. The parrot's gonna be sitting on JW Pepper's shoulder. God, don't no, no. <laughs> don't put that out in the ether. It could happen. He's dead now, but he was alive when they filmed that movie. Don't no, don't put that out there well, i don't need jw pepper in anything i'm pretty sure the parrots did too so parrots live a long yeah, time true. actually the parrots do live a long time <laughs> so that parrot could still be alive well in this movie which we haven't even talked about <laughs> uh, uh cock 
octopos, for instance, live 95 years. <laughs> How long? 95. What? Jeez. Okay. <laughs> wow. Like, okay. That's like, could you imagine if you had that parrot and then like someday your great grandchildren will also have that parrot? So I have to call time out here, actually. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, 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 no. This is my fault because I forgot to write this down in my notes. We, uh, for various reasons, personal reasons and and whatever and stuff going on in the world and elsewhere we've uh we took a couple weeks off from recording this episode oh yeah and And something kind of big for the bond franchise happened in the last oh we found out that sir sean connery passed away uh prior to the recording of this episode and uh it's kind of a sad moment um it is he's the man that started all of this really uh, and a lot of people still hold him up as the best Bond that ever was out there. So yeah, I, I, I don't know. I wouldn't go that far, but I did. I do very much enjoy his performance as Bond. Mm-hmm. Uh, and without him, we wouldn't have the franchise at all. So, and I mean, even beyond Bond, how many? There have been so many other iconic Sean Connery roles. And and it's funny. We I think we joked about this once, but you know, to me, and I know he didn't stop working, but. You know, he, he was Bond, and then he came back to do Bond in the early 80s. Um, and then, you know, he came back to do things like Indiana Jones and, and uh, The Hunt for Red October when kind of resurrected mm-hmm. his career in a way, I think. I mean, he was... Oh, yeah. He wasn't really considered a bankable name anymore for a while. I mean, he was in Zardoz and Highlander, but I wouldn't say that those, you know... Well, Zardoz is something pretty special. I mean, so is Highlander. Let's. I. I actually just recently rewatched that movie. It is not good. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, Sean Connery is the best thing in it, but <laughs> but it is not a good movie. No. <laughs> I mean, Sean Connery is absolutely the best part of it. I will give him that. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have not seen Zardoz. Uh, <laughs> it's it's I don't it's special. Yeah, I mean, all I know of Zardoz is that outfit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that. That is something. It is. It is interesting because yes, for with Sean Connery, I do basically sort of think of him as bon- as middle aged Sean Connery as Bond, even though technically he wasn't middle aged when he played Bond. He just looked it. Right. Uh, and old Sean Connery from the eighties and nineties in things like you know Hunt for Red October and The Rock. And, Indiana mm-hmm. Jones like yes there's like an entire 20 years in between there that he did other things but I don't really think about that period yeah but yeah I I think he what we can definitely say is that Sean Connery uh I mean he lived to the age of 90 so he had a good long life he's will always be remembered for so many roles uh and I mean a life well lived I yeah absolutely and I mean this has been uh I mean, it's been a rough year for everybody, frankly. Uh, yeah. And there's been a lot of celebrity deaths this year. At least it seems like an outrageous number of them is compared to normal. Um, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I know, you know, um, Diana Rigg passed away recently. Um, mm-hmm. I believe Claudine Auger passed away earlier this year. Uh, Jeffrey Palmer just Jeffrey passed Palmer, away the last yes, couple Jeff, weeks that, as well. That, he was also on my... Yeah, I made a note to mention him too. Uh, you know, we 
enjoyed him. We were talking about him last week um, mm-hmm. in his scenes with M. Yeah, Jeffrey Palmer, he just passed away last week as well. I mean, I mean, he was also in his 90s. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. As far as I'm aware, George Lazenby's still kicking around in his 80s. So. Yeah, Timothy Dalton is still with us, obviously. Yep. Who's older than you'd think he is. He is. Yeah. Yes. Well, when we were t- saying about how he almost was offered the part for Honor Majesty's Secret Service, and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> and honestly, even today, I feel like Pierce Brosnan today looks older than Timothy Dalton. Sometimes, yeah. Pierce Brosnan is just one of those people who suddenly got old, I think. Yeah, I know, right? I mean, <laughs> it's like he was just James Bond, and now he's older. Well, I mean, he is 67. Yeah. But yes, it, it does feel like he went from... He went, like, almost completely white in the course of a couple of years, I yeah. feel. Like, I, I remember seeing him a few years back in a movie uh, called The the Ghost Rider, um, mm-hmm. where he's... He was starting to look older, but he still also was Pierce Brosnan. You know, he had, you know, but you, you could mm-hmm. tell he was playing an older person in that movie, but not very old. Uh, and I saw him in a preview or something recently, and he has all his, you know, his hair's all gone and everything. Not yeah, gone, but it's, and if it's grayish no, white. Not now, gone, no. Yeah, he, he still has his hair. Yeah, and if... As far as we yeah, know. If, if you've seen, um, I don't know if you saw Mamma Mia 2, but... Yes. That's the one. That was the moment where I'm like, wow, Pierce Brosnan got old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although it is it is worth pointing out that in 2013, he did lose his daughter to the same cancer that killed his wife. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, he's had some yeah. traumatic experiences. Yeah. But, but, yeah, I just wanted to, you know, take a moment to acknowledge uh, Sean Connery. and Yeah, I mean, we start talking about Sean Connery, then we're talking about how Pierce Brosnan's old. Uh, but yes, <laughs> Sean Connery was... Although, I, I will say, to, to, to kind of wrap it around back to The World Is Not Enough, <laughs> he... I think he looks markedly older in this movie than he did last time out. He definitely does. Not in a bad way. He just... No. He looks different, maybe is, is a better way to put yeah, it. he does. Um, uh, Pierce Brosnan looks different in each movie, I think. Yes, that's true. Uh, whereas Connery and Moore were sort of static for a few movies and then suddenly changed, mm-hmm. Brosnan definitely ages at least somewhat between each movie. Well, and they, they keep changing his hair, mm-hmm. where, you know, this time his, he has I, that... Yeah, I think the hair in Goldeneye really made him look younger than he maybe really was. That giant poof thing he had going on. With his hair, yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, I feel like his hair in this movie is mostly what it, the same as it will be in Die Another Day. It's a little... He's gray at the temples a little in Die yeah. Another Day that he's not in this one, yeah. but... But I, I like I his look mostly. in this movie, actually. Oh, yeah. Um, no, this is... This, this is, is the iconic Pierce Brosnan look to me. Yeah, and, and this is probably my favorite of his performances of the four of them. Um, I, I think... Like, there's a moment here... You know, we find out that he's there to collect money. Again, it's it's not exactly clear, but somebody, this guy, Robert King, was trying to buy a report or something about a pipe, oil pipeline. Or it's it's not made very clear, and it still isn't clear to me exactly in the script. No. But you know, he's being threatened, and he does his bond thing. He has like a bomb trigger hidden in his glasses, and it goes off. And there's a quick shot of him with this really angry look on his face like he's very intense for for, especially for a brosnan movie 
I just wish we got more of that from him. And I think it shows that he can play that mm -hmm. type of emotion that he's not really asked to do very much. You know, he holds the, the banker at gunpoint and threatens him. And again, that, that, that feels like old school Sean Connery type bond to me. Oh, absolutely. Probably more, more like, more of like a Timothy Dalton bond, really. So I even notated here, like, as he's talking, like, he even sounds like Sean Connery mm -hmm. in this opening, in some of the scenes in this movie. Uh, in the opening scene with the banker, when he's talking, perhaps you failed to take into account my hidden assets. If yeah. I had my eyes closed, I might have thought that was Sean Connery. Yeah, yeah, And I, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm sure he wasn't doing that deliberately or anything, but... No, I don't think so. It's a combination of the Irish accent and the Scottish accent being in the same general ballpark. Uh, I mean, don't tell an Irish person or a Scottish person I ever said that, but... Uh. <laughs> Our one Scottish listener is no longer subscribed. <laughs> but, I mean... It, it, oh, no. You know, I know who our one Scottish listener would have been, too. Yeah. Uh, we haven't... <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's funny, when you when you go back and watch, like, Dr. No and, and Sean Connery's a trying to affect a British accent, and then a few movies later, he's just given up on it, and he's just talking with yeah. Sean Connery. Uh Mm -hmm. Where by the time you get to Diamonds Are Forever, he's just like, I mean, he's phoning in his entire performance at this at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and uh, aged thirty years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so the banker guy gets killed with a knife to the back of the neck, which is kind of gruesome. Um, and I guess bit. it looks like that that cigar lady is the one that killed him because he sees her running up the stairs. I think it's a cute moment. I don't quite get how this thing works where he rips the thing off the blinds and ties it to the guy so he can kind of rappel down the side of the building. Yeah, I was thinking it's weird that he ties it to the guy and not a chair, but like, I guess the idea is that his weight will slowly pull the guy instead mm -hmm. of so it'll allow him to descend slowly. Right. I guess is the idea. I'm not sure how plausible that is. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense just because... You know, that's why you have bungee cords, because if you stop suddenly, it's a problem, or you accelerate too fast. Mm -hmm. um, and the other question I have is, at one point, the guards break this door down, and I, I guess they're Swiss guards, because it's a Swiss bank or something, uh, with the braze and everything. They look they look very Swiss to me. Um, again, in mm -hmm. Spain, Bond undoes the thing and walks away uh, as the police are showing up to the bank. Um, my understanding is that this was originally the end of the pre-credits um and i think they made the right decision and said no we can't go to the credits here we have to do more um this is it actually... does feel like the end of the of a cold open for me yeah. yes um now that said this is actually the longest cold open i think of the entire series uh, it goes on hmm. for a little north of 14 minutes yeah that makes sense yeah because we end up back at mi6 and it really is the mi6 building yes which I think is which will continue the to be used. Yeah, it'll be continued to be used up through um, Skyfall. Mm -hmm. um, Money Penny has her. Well, M has a new office again. Uh, this is where Bond gives Money Penny the cigar and you get the terrible joke. Uh, well, presumably this is M's. This is new M's office now because yes in goldeneye bonds would m mention your predecessor kept this there so presumably it was just she now has her own has put her own touch on the office yeah although this this office now is decidedly less mid-90s than it was <laughs> in 
yes, in, it is. Uh, in Goldeneye. I don't mind this look. I, I still miss the the one that they bring back in Skyfall. I get so excited when they had the padded door and everything in Skyfall. But Oh, the padded door. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. That, that scene at the end of Skyfall where they play the classic theme and you see the padded door, it's like, ah, oh, yep. it's perfect. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do kind of... I mean, we'll get there. I... So I was ragging on the the terrible like sexual joke with with the cigar. I I kind of am amused by his line later when he's like, "That's a relationship close, but no cigar." I I think that's mm-hmm. kind of cute. And okay, I find it cringy, but I appreciate that Samantha Bond gives as good as she gets. Even though it's a very cringy, very sexual harassment situation, you can tell that she is not taking it from him. Right. She's also, she shouldn't have to take it from him, because this whole thing shouldn't be happening. Because, you know, sexual harassment. But the fact that she stands up to him and gives as good as she gets is good. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm slightly, dis- actually more than slightly, I'm disappointed in the writers because... I really liked in Goldeneye when she actually calls him out and says, you know, mm-hmm. this could be considered sexual harassment, which I remember at the time it was like, whoa, this is di- this is new. Yeah, but then she res- but then she follows that up with a sexual harassment line of her own by saying someday you have to make good on all your threats. So true. true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at least they're aware of how awful some of the stuff was previously. Yeah. And Again, it, I when they rebooted the franchise for Daniel Craig, I do not miss any of this stuff. No, I don't either. I, I no. It was cringy in the 60s. It was cringy in the 70s. They should have known better in the 80s, and they really should have known better in the 90s. Yeah, I mean, thankfully a lot of that left with the Roger Moore stuff, you know, when he left the role, um, partly because I think we've... we've talked about the shortcomings of the money penny in the uh in the dalton era which uh-huh. there wasn't much of um other than her asking him to listen to her barry manilow records at one point uh, <laughs> although he does smack her on the butt once which i'm just like really we're gonna do that again yeah uh we don't get any of that here thank goodness and we th- thankfully don't get a boob cam yeah we, we yeah we we've covered boob cam <laughs> Yeah, so we, we, you know, we go into M's office, we meet Robert King on his way out the door, who apparently knows, is good friends with M. You know, they were at law school together in Oxford. I don't get this bit with, I mean, I get why it's here, but this whole thing with the ice, we find out that there's a bomb in the money because they, yes. they, they coded... Well, well, the money's laced with some, with uh, urea. explosive, basically. Yeah, they yeah. say it's actually urea. And I and I looked this up because I'm like, really? That it? But it, I mean, it's a nitrogen-based chemical. It, it's a th- this is a thing yeah. they've used it to make improvised explosives. Um, I don't get the whole radio and yeah. the pin thing, but whatever. That's a Bond plot. Yeah, and Michael Kitchen calls it a fertilizer bomb, I believe later. Which yes, is basically what it was. Which, especially in the late '90s, is something that audiences would have been familiar with. Oh yeah, yeah, yes, definitely. So, because uh, for people who weren't around in the late '90s, the there was a bombing in Oklahoma City, mm-hmm. uh, with which used a fertilizer bomb. That at the time was the worst terrorist attack in in yeah. US, so in nineteen ninety nine, that yeah. was the worst terrorist attack on U.S. soil. Uh, you know, and it would keep that for another two years. So here's what I don't get: you go to all this trouble to 
put a bomb in the money. Mm-hmm. Why is this same woman waiting out in the Thames to shoot Bond? Why are they doing... Okay, no, because they needed Bond to... They needed Bond to bring doesn't... the money back. Right, but didn't they also need Bond to do... Like, when he finally meets up with... Uh, what's his name? Robert Carlyle's character. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, doesn't he say, like, I needed you to do all these things for me? Yeah. So, Renard. Uh, so, didn't... Like, <laughs> this is all some sort of weird elaborate setup to get Bond to unwittingly do make their plan come to fruition. Mm-hmm. Which I feel like this is the... This is... And this is a strong statement, but this is by far the worst plot of... Uh, like, most ill-conceived plot of any bad guy in a Bond film. I think we can compare this to the one in Skyfall in a few weeks, but... Oh, sure, yeah. Okay, it's the worst <laughs> one we've seen so far. Yeah. Um, there are so many easier ways to have accomplished what they... They didn't need Bond... They didn't truly need Bond for any of this. No. And if they hadn't involved Bond, as is the case in so many movies, they would have gotten away with it. Yeah. Either in, if they hadn't involved Bond or if they had just shot Bond, they would have... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh... <laughs> I mean, at least here they're trying to shoot him at this point. Uh, yes. But he sees the laser coming and he, they, you know, she misses him. But they could have, there could, there have been so many easier ways to kill Electra's father than yeah. this convoluted money thing that wasn't even necessary. They, I don't think Bond ever actually does anything that is, is required for Renard and Electra's plan. Like, they could have gotten around pretty much anything that Bond did that unwittingly helped them. Possibly. I'm just not really sure. I'm not really... No. I, I love this movie. I really enjoy this movie. But this is... It It does feel like it was complete... The, the plot is a little contrived. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I can think of, and because this comes up later, is perhaps they were hoping that M would be killed along with King, because mm. there's, a, there's a revenge element against M... In the, in the plot right. as well. And I'm wondering if, you know, getting a bomb into MI6, part of the hope was that they would get M as well. I don't know. That makes more sense. I hadn't considered that. that. I mean, that's the only thing I can think of. And I can see how just assassinating M at least should be a hard thing to do. Yeah, you would think. But, I mean, the real reason that this woman is out there in the boat waiting is so we can get this boat chase... Mm-hmm. Which I like a lot. Which, uh, it goes on a little too long. It goes on a little too long. I could be wrong, but is this really the first time we actually see London in a Bond movie? I if, I think it's the first time they're actually in London. Right. Uh, I mean, we see, I mean, we see, like, establishing shots. But yes, I think this is the first time we actually see something that taking place, an action scene that obviously is taking place in London. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, interestingly enough, um, during the filming of this boat scene, uh, because it was 1999, uh, they had webcams set up for people to watch it on the internet. Oh, really? <laughs> That's cool. Yes. Cause Interesting. Webcams were all the rage in the late yeah. 90s. Yeah. You could see it in, like, 240p or something, probably. Yes. Uh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, on your dial-up internet. On your dial-up internet, yeah. So... All right, I kind of like the boat. Um, I enjoy the scene where he straightens his tie underwater. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I can even accept that the boat with rocket boosters can move across land. 
because yeah. that makes sense. The propulsion would still do it. I cannot I accept that he here. can turn the boat while I'm No. Here. There is no, <laughs> no way you can do that. <laughs> well, and I thought about it for a second. I'm like, well, because they do this thing with the effects of the rocket where, you know, he's turning and only one of the rockets is on. And I'm like, that would work, except both rockets are right in the middle of the boat. Like, if the rockets were on the far outside corners of the boat, maybe you could pivot. But the way this boat mm-hmm. is constructed, and, and no, there's yeah, no way. It just, no. <laughs> and and because it was 1999, we have to show off the Millennium Dome here at the very end. Uh, oh yes, which was a new thing. And I see, uh, you know, in the in the intervening period between between uh, Tomorrow Never Dies and World Is Not Enough, Bond has become very familiar with GPS because he uses it on the boat. Correct. Yeah, he uses the GPS but, there. Yeah. Uh, we we end up on this. I mean, this thing keeps just building, and she ends up getting on this hot air balloon, you know, which, which she ev- eventually destroys because she's convinced she's going to be, like, they can't protect her from somebody who we don't know yet, who turns out to be Renard. Yeah. I think they could have protected her from Renard. I think they could have. Well, I like this movie a lot, too. I think Renard is probably the one of the weakest developed character, uh, villains that we get, um, the way they talk about Which is a shame. On. It is a shame. Yeah. Uh, so we, I have said in many movies um, that this is a waste of insert actor here. Yeah, this is a bit of a waste of Robert Carlyle because he is yes. a very good actor. He is, and I think what he does, there are some scenes that he does that, in this that I really like. And I apologize to Robert Carlyle's n- name, which I will continue to pr- mispronounce the entire time, because I believe it is Robert Carlyle, but. I grew up in the town of Carlisle, Pennsylvania, and I cannot, (laughs) (laughs) I can't, like, my mind just can't pronounce it differently. (laughs) Right. Carlisle, not Carlisle. Right. Yes. (laughs) So, I'm sorry, Robert, if you're listening. I apologize for mispronouncing your name. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so Bond lets go of the rope on the, on the balloon and lands on the millennium dome and catches his arm on the the rope and that takes us into the credits you know i'm glad that they show that that actually does hurt him yeah and he doesn't just (laughs) yeah get to walk away from that no although speaking of walking away i like the touch here in the credits of him landing and then walking away at the very beginning I yes, think that's a, while that's a cradling nice his arm, no less. Yeah, while, while holding his arm like it's hurt. Yeah, I think that's a nice touch. Speaking uh, of these credits, this is possibly, this is definitely one of the best Bond songs. Absolutely. underrated of them for sure Mm -hmm. Uh, i think this movie in general is people very rarely talk about this movie when talking about good bond movies and as much as we were just shitting all over the plot (laughs) uh, 
I do enjoy this movie a lot. Yeah, no, I do too. But th- this song by Garbage is very good. It uh, is. It's, I it's definitely the best of the Brosnan intros. Oh, easily. We we were well. I should say I was complaining last week about you know how the composer David Arnold wrote a song that they didn't use, and this time they mm-hmm. actually did use it. And I think he does a great job as usual of weaving it in. I I really like the the action cue with the boat chase earlier where you get a good dose of this theme. that's a bit that's a big thing that we saw that because we got that last last movie because they changed the song we didn't get that music throughout the movie and and that that has become sort of integral to the bond films is that you hear the theme throughout the movie Mm -hmm. and you don't get that much anymore no but at one time it was yeah who, who now next i know we'll talk about this much more next week but who wrote um die another day the, the song? song, I mean. Madonna. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Ah, okay. It, they should it, have to, to maybe the not have that. You call it a song. There's like four words. Um, <laughs> no, there's more than four words, but not many. And I, I remember reading in John Burlingame's book about the Bond music that David Arnold was basically said something like, yeah, there was no way I could use anything from that song into the score, so I didn't. So... <laughs> So fair. Yeah. That's absolutely fair. But we'll talk about that next week. Yeah, we will. I think the visuals are, you know, standard trippiness. They work. Well, I think my note was, gee, I wonder if this movie has oil in it. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, I like this much better than the weird x-ray stuff in Tomorrow Never Dies. Yes. Although I... I I like the statues and the CGI sick hammer and sickle from GoldenEye better than oh, this, yeah, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, and <laughs> while I'll continue to shit all over Madonna's song, I like the the it, the way they weave in Bond being in captivity in the Diana Yes, I very much like that. Yeah. Where they see that, yeah, you, I, I really enjoy that whole aspect. And we find out MI6 has a headquarters in Scotland. That looks like it's in Skyfall. It might be the same one. I don't think it is, but it's there's too yeah. much water there. But and Michael yeah, Kitchen's back. Yeah, I said he would be back. Yeah, <laughs> he wasn't here last week, but I promised he would be back, and I was right. Yeah, I think he's I think he's in Die Another Day too, but don't quote me on that. <laughs> I know Michael Madsen uh, is for some reason. Actually, now that I think about it, he may not be in Die Another Day. No, no, he is just uh, in Tomorrow Never... He is not in Tomorrow Never Dies. He is just in GoldenEye and World is Not Enough. Robinson's in, though. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And Actually, I'm just reading this now. Uh, so, okay. Robinson... The character of Robinson was created because Michael Kitchen was not available for Tomorrow Never Dies. Oh, okay. 
it, they were gonna have Tanner in Tomorrow Never Dies, but Michael Kitchen couldn't do it, so they brought in Colin Salmon instead. Okay. I like Colin Salmon. So in this movie, you get... Yeah, in this movie, you get both, which is cool. And I think we get our first female MI, MI6 agent in this scene, sitting next to Bond there. Yeah. But Bond is injured and cannot go on active duty. Doesn't even get a copy of the papers. No, he doesn't. But <laughs> thankfully, again, unfortunately named Dr. Warmflesh is going to take care of that. Oh, God. Why? <laughs> I know, right? I don't, th- also, I, don't even know if she- I don't know if she's named in the movie, but that's what her name is in the credits. I kind of wanted to see Bond, like, straight up break his neck this movie because he didn't take care of his collarbone. Mm-hmm. Like... I think that would have been a interesting way to, yeah. Yeah, that would have been. But no, he just, you know, just like he did in Goldeneye, he sleeps with the doctor to get a good report. Yep, and next thing we know, he's back on, on duty. I like the machine gun bagpipes here in Q's lab. Yes, and so Q introduces his successor. Uh-huh. Does that make him R? Yes, which I think he is R in this movie, but... Not in the next he one. He is credited as R in this movie, yes. Yeah. But they just call him Q in the next one. Right. And we should we should mention that the new Q is played by John Cleese, most notably of Monty Python. I think he's an okay addition. Yeah. I think he, he he's fine for how the Brosnan era works. I think he works yeah. well. And I think he and I think he's totally fine in Die Another Day mm-hmm. when he's the the only Q. Right. Especially because at that point, he's less he's less playing the buffoon than he is in this one. Yes. And he can get away with being a buffoon here just because we have Q still. Yeah. So, interesting. I didn't... I was read some, but I didn't manage to actually... See, I never actually found the answer to this question. Do you know, was this planned to be his last appearance as Q? I have to say that it feels like it was. It does. It really feels like that... He was retiring from the role. I mean, the man was in his 80s at this point, I think. Mm-hmm. It feels like a goodbye scene for Q. So, I mean, who knows? He They could have talked him back to do the next one. I don't know. But it, it really does feel like, like... I'm glad that he went out on this in this way. And it wasn't just one movie, he's Q, and the next movie, he's not there anymore. Because, you know, yeah. he's introduced as... Be, or is being introduced as his successor and... Mm-hmm. And he, he mentions the boat being something for about it being his fishing boat for his retirement, which I have a hard time seeing Q in the Q boat, but okay. <laughs> yeah, that was a little interesting. I mean, we know he likes fishing because he mm-hmm. was fishing while waiting for, uh, while waiting for <laughs> Bond in uh, <laughs> Octopussy. Yeah. yeah. Fishing with VJ Armitrush. Uh Yes. <laughs> I, I do like this scene, although the line... It always kind of sticks out to me as being weird when Q is like, "I've always tried to teach you two things. First, never let me let never let them see you bleed." Yeah, Which that was a when, weird when thing Q, for him when to would say. You say that. <laughs> <laughs> Where did that come from? Yeah, I mean, the the rest I love, like when he's like, "Always have an escape plan," and then he just sinks, and then he just floor. slowly like, that, descends to the floor. Perfect. Yeah, that's good. That is absolutely mm-hmm. perfect. Uh, but they never let them see you bleed thing. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> That's weird. Yeah, it is odd. Yeah. And then we, we find Bond kind of brooding over the Electric King kidnapping, which we're just now finding out about. So here's something that always strikes me as odd. Uh, you know, he's watching the footage and all that stuff. And then he realizes that the ransom demand was $5 million. And yes. 
it turns out that the exact amount of money that was that blew up Robert King was a certain number of pounds that when you convert it to dollars is $5 million. Right, because the exchange rate Renard, is static. Say, and... Renard is very lucky that the exchange rate has not changed at all <laughs> since yeah. the time he gave him the money. Yeah, I, I... Also, how... Did they establish how long it had been since the kidnapping? No. But, I mean, it's clearly implied that it, it, it that it's been a while. Yeah. I mean, this is... this, Which is, is why I find the, uh... I find, um, a note on the Bond wiki sort of amusing. Hmm. Uh, they, they mentioned that this was a real... They actually really shot this with BBC Studio and everything. And, okay. And the, the, the newsreader that they have, um, had was no longer with BBC when this movie came out. Oh. And they're saying that that's a, a bit of a... The, the, the Bond wiki points out that, how this had already dated it. But, I mean, it was supposed to be archive footage, so I think that actually works pretty well. <laughs> yeah, no, I, and, and I would never know that, but I'm sure people... <laughs> I'm in, sure in people Britain in, in this, but... Britain did, yeah. Yeah. But, no, I I certainly didn't. Um, we, we find out that... You know, M made some questionable decisions around this kidnapping. Now, I think I'm pretty sure the kidnapping stuff is all the material they cut out from the beginning of this movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that would have worked better. It certainly would have made the beginning make more sense. <laughs> but, yes. uh, but yeah, something about M using her as bait, which doesn't make sense when she's already been kidnapped. But you know, I, again, like I think they could have reworked this part of the script a little bit to make more sense. But I guess the idea was we're going to use this kidnapping as a way of trying to get Renard. Yeah. She, it's odd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then we find out that they did find Renard and they shot him in the head. Now, this is where I I have a background in neuroscience. This does not make sense. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I love the concept <laughs> of, of, a guy, of, of a villain who can't feel anything. I think that's cool. But they go to the point of saying, like, here's where the bullet is, and it's going through the medulla umblagata, and it's doing X, you know, that's that's not where senses are. If you have a bullet in the medulla umblagata, you can't breathe. That's, like, the autonomic part of your brain. That's what controls heart rate and breathing and that sort of thing. You'd be dead. But anyway, of course it's not real. It's a Bond movie. But... I, I right. think it's an interesting. This is, and I wish they developed this further, where they keep they say things like, you know, he's continually losing feeling, and also is it is that a thing where like if they couldn't get it out, it would still slowly travel through the brain? Wouldn't it yeah. just sort of stay where it is? Um, it depends. I mean, there's there's you know people that have shrapnel and like. No, I'm not talking about Iron Man, but you know, people who have shrapnel in their body, if you move if you move, it can it can shift. So Right, but how much does your brain move? I mean like if you have shrapnel in a leg or your chest, you're flexing your body. You're not flexing your brain. Right. I mean it you're 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 yeah, the bullet isn't gonna just kind of like slow it's not like it's slowly moving on its trajectory. Um, right, and that's kind of how they describe it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not not to be overly gross here. Like the brain is kind of has the consistency of pudding, so <laughs> you know, just imagine a bullet in in a bowl of pudding. Like, <laughs> and would it move? I don't. Maybe, maybe gravity would do something. I, I, yeah. Well, isn't the brain probably closer to Jello than pudding, though? Not like, really. Like I feel like it has more resistance to it than pudding. 
Well, okay. Maybe pudding's a little too small. Or more elasticity to it. Like, it'll bounce back if you poke it. It can. I say from my experience of having poked so many brains. (laughs) You've poked many brains in your day. Uh... They're, they're very soft. It's very delicate stuff. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. That's kind of why you have a skull. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, I, I it doesn't seem all that plausible, the situation. No. But it is a cool plot device. It's a cool plot device. They also cool they use somebody. it, like, twice in the movie. Uh, right. Because he can pick up that hot rock, and he can't actually feel that Electra is warm. And that's, like, the only time that actually... Oh, he can break the... He broke the glass. Yeah, he punches through the table that one time, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it definitely could have been used better, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so they send Bond out to go protect Electra or just tell her, like, what's up, I guess. Like, thinking that this kidnapper is coming after her again because they've already taken out her dad, her father. So, I, I will say this is the nicest looking, this is my favorite BMW of the ones we get here. It looks like a yeah, car James Bond good. would drive. Yeah. On the drive into wherever they're going to this oil field area, we we pass by Chekhov's tree trimmers, uh, which absolutely yes. are not going to come back later. Oh, totally not. So, yeah, we, we come to the pipeline and we get to see Electric King making a deal with the village there not to destroy their church. Uh, something the foreman is not happy with. Yeah. The... the the foreman who, I have no idea what the actor's name is, but he was also in The Mummy. Oh, yeah, yeah, he was, wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> he always looks like that, too. Oh, absolutely, always <laughs> looks like that. Yeah, with that unshaven, yeah. Like, I almost expected Eric Avari to be here. I know, right? Yeah, <laughs> Eric Avari would have fit in very well with those Orthodox priests. Yeah, since that's his thing. Is Eric Avari in a Bond film? Because I feel like Eric Avari is in every franchise. Eric Avari has never been in a Bond film. It feels like that has to change at some point. It really does. Like, he was in everything in the 90s. How was he never in a Bond film? He was in Stargate, for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. He's one of only he's one of only two actors to reprise his role from the movie in the TV show on Stargate. <laughs> Wait, who's the other one? Uh, the actor who played the the kid, the little boy that uh, o- that O'Neill gives his lighter to. Oh, okay. He becomes a relatively important recurring character in the show. Okay. Yeah, everybody else gets recast. <laughs> anyway, yes. I kind of like <laughs> Electra King's response here to Bond when he shows up and she just kind of laughs at him and it's like, I'm doing all this dangerous stuff and you're telling me I might be in danger. That's interesting i like how she shows the map how she's running the pipeline north to get past the terrorists in iraq iran and syria it's like well that will definitely be useful for whoever owns the king pipeline in the uh you know in the mid 2010s um yes (laughs) (laughs) but in 2020 they'll they'll come into some trouble since there's since uh, Armenia and Azerbaijan are at war these days, that's that's true. Yeah, it's just not a really good place to have a gas to have a oil pipeline. Well, is there a good place to have an oil pipeline these days? Fair. Um, and then, of course, because it's a Bond movie, we're gonna go ski for a while. <laughs> I was thinking that. I was like, oh man, we gotta have we have the requisite <laughs> ski scene. Although yeah. this is this is probably the first Pierce Brosnan skiing scene, isn't it? I think it is. Yeah, it might be the only Pierce Brosnan. Does he ski? Does he ski well, at he, all in he, Die Another he Day? Water skis, sort of. Yeah, yeah, I don't count that. 
<laughs> and he surfs at one point, but that's not skiing. Yeah. I mean, because I realize he's in Iceland. There's, like, there could be skiing, but I don't think he ever does ski and die another day. So no. this is probably the only Pierce Brosnan skiing scene. Yeah. And as with quite a few of these skiing scenes, we get para-dropped-in snowmobiles that attack them. Yeah. Now, <laughs> I don't understand this. Um, <laughs> so... I mean, I agree. We need to have an action beat here, so we're going to do this. You know, spoilers for the rest of the movie. It turns out that Electra King is behind everything. What would have happened if they had accidentally killed her? Just right, now? exactly. <laughs> or like, if they had accidentally so, killed Bond, because apparently they needed Bond, too? <laughs> I guess. I mean, in Electra's mind, the best thing to have happen right now is Bond goes home. So yeah. Why don't you just ski around for a while, put up with his shtick, and then send him home? Yeah. But yeah, like, I mean, it does seem like none of the Parahawk things actually attack her. But, I mean, accidents they happen. very well could have accidentally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I mean, they end up buried in snow, and the only reason they survive is because Bond has that weird inflatable ball coat thing. Yeah. <laughs> That we get some, we get an interesting uh, insight into Electra, how she can't stand to be confined, which never comes up again. Uh. <laughs> no, it totally should have, but it doesn't. Yeah. Like Bond should have locked her in the Turkish torture chair. I think the, tw I mean, it's it's not as terribly surprising twist that she's the villain of the movie, but it almost feels like they wrote the character this way and then decided to suddenly make her the bad guy halfway through the movie. <laughs> Rather than yeah, set I can it up see that in a way that makes sense, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, like she's skiing away. She could have like slipped and fell off a cliff or injured her. You know, I don't know. And it's it's a it's an all right action sequence, I guess. You know, lots of ways of driving people into trees more than <laughs> or off a cliff. Uh, yeah, you made a funny a note about the the parachute thing at one point, but did I? <laughs> Some of these notes I yeah, made, like, like, a week ago. I don't remember. Uh, yeah, yeah. like, <laughs> at one point, Bond jumps off a cliff and then shreds the parachute with his ski pole, and for some reason that causes the engine to, to screw yes! up. Yes! Yes, it does. <laughs> it you start makes the, the motor on the... Yeah, it makes the snowmobile motor start to seize up, and it's like, why? How? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at one point, he forces a guy off the cliff and he's like see you back at the lodge and then another parachute comes out of it and he's like damn it i mean i don't quite <laughs> yeah, get that, how that it goes was... i don't quite get how it comes back up from below because physics well, uh, but... they got have really good fans on that on the back of that yeah, they must yeah they must <laughs> yeah i don't think that works uh... no <laughs> yeah it's a it's a perfectly adequate you know end of act one kind of action scene so was this also an elaborate ruse to give her an excuse to send davidoff off to do the thing with the nukes uh, maybe because like, i also feel like there would be easier ways to do that too. i mean i don't i don't know what davidoff is doing in this movie either so well he won't be there much longer so it's cool no true electra's trying really hard to sleep with bond in the scene and yes. at least to his credit he is not interested at this point because he's going to go off to the casino i mean 90s Pierce Brosnan, who doesn't want to sleep with him? That's fair. <laughs> I I appreciate, like, he, we find out that he has these again, very 90s sunglasses. That are x-ray specs 
but don't see through underwear somehow. But one of the best things about this movie, though, is we find out who owns the casino. Yes. And we meet Mr. Bullion. We share a note file for this for these podcasts, and our collective notes are one said Mr. Bullion is the worst, and one said Mr. Bullion sucks. So, <laughs> you, think you know how we feel about He Mr. does! Bullion. He's terrible. Mr. Bullion is... Oh, I can't stand him. I mean, you're not supposed to. You're supposed to hate him. No, but he's just bad all around. Speaking of bad, yes. uh, Robbie Coltrane has a really bad mustache in this movie <laughs> that looks so oh, fake. <laughs> it is so bad, yeah. I love Robbie Coltrane in this movie, and I loved him back in Goldeneye too. It's I, mm-hmm. I don't I don't get why he has this stupid mustache, and I don't know if it really is fake or it just looks fake, but it's bad. It could be his real mustache, but it doesn't look good. No, I mean his little goatee and stuff is fine. It kind of matches his hair, but that that mustache just doesn't. It doesn't look like the rest of his facial hair at all. It's too bushy compared to his goatee. Like, it's too yeah. full, I should say. Like, his goatee yes. looks more sort of natural, little, you know, sort of sparsely. And then he, he's got, like, this thick growth of fur. Fur. Oh, hair. <laughs> <laughs> under, <laughs> under his nose. Yeah. And, it, and it's like, that's not how facial hair works. Like, no. you don't... As someone who has experimented with many types of facial hair uh your goatee <laughs> at least in my case anyway the, the 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 goatee part and the mustache part are more or less the same what it'll grow the same way in both places by this point um electra has turned up in the casino to play to to play the way the quickest way of losing a million dollars possible. So I will just say that Vantaya sounds way classier than Blackjack. <laughs> yes, it does. Like if you say I'm gonna play Vantaya, then I think you're like sophisticated. If you say you're playing Blackjack, I think you're like, you know, just some American tourist or something. Weekender in Vegas or something like that. Right. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yes. She she loses a lot of money. And really that's only on a... That's only there for Bond to realize that she has dealings with Sukovsky. Right. I will say, Electra's outfit is very well coordinated. I like how her lipstick and her earrings and her dress all all very much go, go with each other. Yeah. So now we're in a fire forest, which I didn't look up. Is this a real thing? Do you know? Because I feel like if there's constant flames, you wouldn't have trees growing right next to them. Yeah, I, I think I wrote... I originally wrote a note about this, and I don't think it's there anymore. I'm just like, the eternal flames that never die. I'm like, can this be a thing? This feels like a weird, made-up James Bond location. Yes, it does. Like, I, I would believe that there might be an oil, a, ga- a natural gas deposit that's been on fire for hundreds of years. What I mm-hmm. don't believe is that it would be in the middle of a forest with living trees. No, I'm, I would wager that this is not a real place. <laughs> I mean, this clearly looks like a set anyway. I, I don't think this is an actual thing. I mean, I like the idea of these scalding hot rocks that Renard's able to pick up and carry because he can't feel anything. And This is not going just... to be the only time I question open flame in this movie. Okay. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we'll, get to, we'll get to that in a bit. Yeah. The scalding rock. I like the fake out where you think he's going to kill Davidov and he actually kills the Russian guy. Yep. Well, the Russian guy was being annoying. Yes. How dare he not want to get caught for 
you know, being a duplicitous person. <laughs> Bond has now given in to his not wanting to sleep with Elektra. Um, here in this scene, we find out that Elektra apparently has a fetish thing for ice and that Pierce Brosnan's Bond does not shave his chest hair. Yes, Pierce Brosnan's Bond does not shave his I think only Roger Moore shaved his chest hair. I think, yeah, I think. Oh, no, right. no, uh, Daniel Craig shaves Daniel his chest Craig's hair, Daniel Craig's pretty, too. yeah, he does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, Pierce Brosnan has some chest hair, but it's not, you know, Connery levels. <laughs> I mean, there, there's a reason why Austin Powers looks the way he does. I, I like, so Bond goes out looking for Davidoff. And I, I like how Davidoff is the kind of guy that's going to, like, fake his own ID photo, like, ten minutes before he has to be somewhere. Yes. Like, Bond sees him <laughs> taking his picture, um, and then Bond hides out in the trunk. Now, I don't get why Bond kills him at this point. Yeah, that... Just because? Yeah. But he hasn't done anything that we know no. of, anyway. No, this is... Honestly, this isn't... No, he didn't need to kill him. No. Oh, well. It's kind of like when he kills that guy in Doctor Now. Kind of. Now he's gonna put on a bad Russian accent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know enough Russian to know if it's as bad as his, if his Russian is as bad as his German, but I imagine it's not great. He's, he's speaking, it seems a little more smooth the way he's speaking than with his German at least. But, uh, yeah, I don't know enough about Russian. Uh, I've also never understood this thing where the guy's like, did you bring the grease? And then they pull out these sneakers out of his duffel bag, and they're like, okay, that's fine. And, like, what's, what grease? I don't, is this another thing that they cut out of the movie? Well, I assume like, the idea they... is it's as a bribe. Okay. As in, like, greasing the palm? Yeah, so he gives them the sneakers, and that's the bribe. Okay. Interesting. I yeah I okay um, we find out that I like we get to see his universal exports card which we haven't heard from in a while we haven't heard the name used in a while that he uses to fake the ID and we're being driven to this I don't know weapons testing area that has a missile silo because it. it seems like they're diffusing bombs yes they're diffusing old Russian bombs to like make them safe mm-hmm. And this is when we meet Christmas Jones. Yes, we do. And you have brought up Denise Richards as Christmas Jones like five or six times already on this podcast. So I feel like you have feelings that you need to air here. Well, I just think that I think a lot of the reason people rag on this movie is because of Denise Richards. And I think it's unfair. Yeah, I would agree. Is is she is she great in this movie? No. Is she awful in this movie? I don't think so. No, I think she's fine in this role. Uh, I don't know that... Yes, I, I think if you're trying to cast someone as a nuclear physicist, maybe don't cast Denise Richards. Right. But I don't. I think she does a decent job with what she's given. Yeah, I think a lot of failings here are more the words they give her to say or, or the, you know, like, I think a lot of the problems are in the script... Mm-hmm. And I just I just don't understand. And I think that she, to your point, she may have been miscast. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I I don't get people that put like she's the worst Bond girl of the friend. Like no, I don't. Oh God, no. 
No, the worst Bond girl of the franchise is the figure skater from For Your, for Your Eyes Only. <laughs> like, hands well, down. I, well, I was going to say Mary Goodnight from, from The Man with the Golden Gun. Oh, she's not great either. <laughs> no. <laughs> but again, like, she's clearly set up to be very smart. I, yeah, I, I don't. I don't agree with all the criticism that she gets. I don't, again, I, she could have been better, sure. But it's, it's not, it doesn't ruin the movie for me in any way that she's in this. Yeah. Sorry. I'm sorry for all the people that this does ruin the movie for them because, but I think they're wrong. Yeah. No, I don't, I, I, I agree. I, I think she's fine. Uh, I mean, I generally like Denise Richards. Uh, She was, I mean, I, 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 I know there are people that also poo-poo starship troopers but it's one of mm-hmm. my favorite 90s movies I was, um <laughs> i was gonna say they're wrong too uh, yeah the people who think that starship troopers are bad are the people for whom the real message of starship troopers went right over their head uh yeah they're the people that saw that movie and thought they were being straight the whole time yes with that movie. exactly <laughs> <laughs> now every single starship troopers sequel is terrible yes but yeah, and uh, she was also in the uh, the whole Nine Yards movies, and those were pretty decent. Yeah, but yeah, so I, I don't I don't think she brings down the movie at all. Uh, no, I, I I like all the stuff that happens down here in this cavern missile silo. Man, I bet you love talking about uh, talking about '90s movies with me because I've actually seen them. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Except for, you know, obviously a few that I haven't, but, you know. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Sorry. So, here, here's another question for you. So, you know, he goes down, Bond goes down and, and gets Renard at gunpoint at one point and then doesn't shoot him and they get the drop on him because the, the guy running, apparently the facility up top, um, was warned off by Christmas Jones because... You know, she's like, Bond's pretending to be this Dr. Arkoff guy, and she's like, Dr. Arkoff is like 60 years old or whatever and has a photo of him. But wasn't Davidoff supposed to take his place? Davidoff so, didn't look anything like, yeah. No, he didn't. <laughs> so what was Maybe Davidoff would have been a more convincing Russian. Maybe. And not had her look, not made her look it up. Maybe. That's the only uh, thing I can think of. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, so, it, I mean... It adds nice tension to the movie. You think for a second that he's just going to completely get away with it, but then... Well, he still gets away with yeah. it, but we get an action scene first. Right. I like the scene here where, you know, Bond catches up to him in the elevator and he shoots shoots him in the head, but the glass stops it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he goes up in the elevator and he's just pointing to the ground because they have the little fuse in there that gets tripped. Yes. Um, I, like that. I like that shot. Mm-hmm. And we have Chekhov's you know, get... GPS locator for the... Uh... Missile. Yep. Which apparently runs on a nine volt battery later. That's convenient. Yeah. Maybe it's just designed to be very rugged and tolerant of pretty much any voltage. I mean, things can be designed that way, but why would you design it that way? Yeah, I don't know. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, Bond suspects Electra because Renard says the same thing that she said. Mm-hmm. Which is which is the the line that I'm forgetting now. Uh, oh, there's no point in living if you can't feel alive, or something that's like that. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I do, and 
at the same scene where Bond tries to shoot him and he pulls the 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 elevator starts the explosive. I like how he says, "No hard feelings, Mister Bond. Soon you'll feel nothing at all." That's a good line too. Yeah, yeah, that's that's good. Especially because he feels nothing at all. So like that's a you know reference to that as well. And I like that. I, again, I don't think it's a huge surprise when we when she eventually is revealed as the villain of the story. Um, mm-hmm. But like, I think she's fairly believable here when he confronts her and she's like, he knew how he's like, oh, he knew about my shoulder injury. And she's like, well, you had a sling on at the funeral. Like, come on, this isn't yeah. secret knowledge or anything. You know, like she still could be convincing, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, but, uh, and it, that continues on even after Bond confronts Electra. She's, mm-hmm. she's, pretending to be offended that he would consider this and and then we have the scene where there's something moving in the pipe which makes them think it must be a bomb which i guess like he knows that renard has the bomb but like i still feel like it was a leap to immediately assume that this was a bomb yeah but they do and so bond and jones get on the little the little maintenance thing and crawl through the pipe towards the bomb Mm mm-hmm and we find out the bomb only has half of its yield, so it won't go nuclear. Right, as she's attempting to defuse it. And this is where Bond is really putting things together and realizes that they want they want him to think that they used the bomb so that they don't realize what they're actually doing. And again, I'm not sure that you needed to go through all of these steps to do what you wanted anyway. <laughs> right, because... Yeah, like, the idea was we're going to put some plutonium in there, but not enough to blow up. But enough that they'll detect it at the explosion and think that the bomb was just a dud. Which, yeah. okay, I get that. And and that's because they want to make the sub in Istanbul look like an accident. But mm-hmm. I feel like they still it still would have looked like an accident, even if they hadn't used the bomb somewhere else. Yeah, they just... Yeah. And again, if they hadn't involved Bond... Then they would have gotten that bomb away without anyone being the wiser in the first place. And, yeah. <laughs> well, involving Bond, where? Uh, presume, okay, I'm presuming, at least, that if Bond hadn't taken Davidoff's place, Davidoff wouldn't have tipped off them that, that he wasn't a real Russian, and they would have been able to, and Renard would have been able to get out of there with, with the bomb. Sure, and then my my question then is... Why did Davidoff have to go in the first place? I mean, they seem they. It seems like they got the bomb out pretty well without. I mean, it wasn't Davidoff; it was Bond. So, what, was he just another pair of hands yeah. that was going to help them wheel the bomb out? I mean, I think he was like supposed to be the leader of the group of Russians, like the scientists. So, like, they maybe. probably wouldn't have let them take the bomb out without him, without Doctor Arkham. Yeah, um, that's my guess. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, maybe they Either could have way. just removed the bomb without having to shoot everybody, because it did end up having to shoot everybody. Right. And they may have been able to remove the bomb without people knowing it had been stolen. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, this is what actually happens, and Bond realizes that he should fake his death to toss Electra off the scent. Mm-hmm. And it works and- for, uh, you know, 20 minutes in the movie. Uh, <laughs> now, it, one thing I will notice... Oh, sorry, uh-huh. go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, it, it's a cute line, I think, and it's not delivered particularly well, but I still think it's cute when, after the bomb goes off, and Bond is explaining, like, oh, you know, why they fake their death, and she says something like, 
would you mind explaining that for those of us who don't speak spy? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think it's, I don't think she delivers the line that well, but I like the idea behind it where she's like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, who, th- yes. who thinks like this? Um, <laughs> but yeah, anyway. Uh, Bond, James Bond. Yeah. But yeah, it does work briefly. Uh, I will, mm-hmm. uh, it's interesting that explosion managed to, uh, very neatly saw the ends of all those logs that are parts of trees that are lying there. Indeed. Yes, it did. There must have been a bunch of saw blades just sitting on top of the pipeline and they got thrown through the air. Well, there was, um, there, there is Chekhov's tree trimmer. That's true. But then, you know, we see Renard come back with the plutonium and, you know, clearly he and Electra are a thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know much about plutonium. Like, is it safe to hold a lump of plutonium that big? Like, I imagine it's, you know, radioactive, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it should be. So, I assume it's not, but yeah. I, I'm i not a nuclear scientist. Nope. Um, and I clearly started this podcast with the wrong kind of scientist. <laughs> but, yeah, so, yes, Electra has the plutonium. Also, M is in jail, is locked up now. Yeah. In the little cage room here. Why does that clock even have a battery? It looks like the sort of clock you would wind up. It kind of does. Yeah, I don't know. Like, if I hit a room like that in my house, which I don't, but mm-hmm. if I did, that battery would be dead. Oh, yeah. You know, that clock wouldn't have wouldn't have a battery, like a working battery in it. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, same. Uh, and then, like, I really like the scene here with Renard and Electra. Like, we were talking about Robert Carlyle, as you said, his name is pronounced, um, you know, being somewhat wasted in this Carl- movie. It's, it's, it's Robert Carlyle is his proper pronunciation. Carlyle. But... Carlyle. Okay, Carlyle. Yeah. We'll be done with plenty of time before Nikolaj wakes up. Nikolaj. Hmm? Nikolaj, yeah, I said it. Nikolaj. Nikolaj. Not even close. Nikolaj. Nikolaj. Almost Nikolaj. Nikolaj. I feel like I'm saying it. You know what? It doesn't matter. Carlyle. We have emphasis on the first syllable. But... Okay. I in Pennsylvania, really we in call it Carlisle. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Emphasis I, I on the second that. syllable. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I think he's really good in this scene, because he does a lot without saying much, where he's kind of failing to comprehend that he can't feel anything right now. Mm-hmm. I think I think Electra's being kind of rude to him when he, she's he's like, you're you know, you're so warm or something. And she's like, how would you know? Like, that's kind of a jerk thing to say to the guy, but yeah, it is. And he's like, why are you like this? It's like, yeah. Yeah. Why is she like this? That's me. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, okay. So this comes up later on in the movie. We find this out. Um, and I said, you know, it's not, it's a, it's an okay twist. It's not great that, you know, she's the villain. I really like the concept that she's the one that seduced him. Like he had her kidnapped and the implication has long been that he abused her to the point where she developed Stockholm Syndrome and fell in love with him. Um, mm-hmm. But what we find out is that she actually seduced him and got him to do her bidding. And I think that's a much better twist, I think. Um, yeah. I, I like that added layer to their relationship that you know, mm-hmm. she's she's always been the one in charge. I Yes, I like that as well. It, it's a nice little... It's a twist on the twist. Mm-hmm. But we find that out later. Um, <laughs> yes. Meanwhile, we see Sukovsky doing his Sukovsky thing again, where he's like, it's nothing straight, and he's straightening the sign on his caviar door and everything. Uh, okay, 
so I said I was going to talk about Open Flame again. Why? Yes. Why? <laughs> Are there pipes with flames spouting out of them at the caviar factory? <laughs> <laughs> well, doesn't he have to, like, turn one on or something? Like, I'm assuming Does he? it's a gas line or... Yeah. Like, you mean the one that he shoots the flare through? No, I mean, even as uh, Sukovsky is driving up, you see these big... Oh, okay. Yeah. Just, like, giant gas torches. <laughs> Well, I mean, if you've ever driven through New Jersey on your way to New York City, there's these things all over the place. Well, why else would but you do, drive through New Jersey? Yeah, but I mean, out venting thing. I don't, yeah, I don't know. Fair enough. But yes, I do like how he, stri- yes, he straightens the very dented sign. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this is where we find out that Mr. Bullion is not necessarily the most reliable henchman. Because he sees Bond's car and calls Electra. See, Mr. Bullion calling on his StarTac phone here. If only Bond had hidden his car better. Yes. And, I mean, we get another perfectly adequate action scene, I guess. We do get the return of the tree trimmer. Tree trimmer of death comes back. His little remote control car that gets sawed in half at one point. These are very sharp blades. Because they cut right through the pipes at one point. Yeah, they are very sharp tree trimming blades. Yeah. Uh, like, what kind of trees are they cutting? I don't know. They also cut right through the BMW. Yeah, Q's not going to like this. I like how Bond thinks he's safe because he shoots down one of them and the other one just comes up behind and yeah. cuts through his yeah, car. Yeah, that's clever. Yeah. And Q's not going to like this is another good line. Eventually, Sukovsky ends up in his vat of In caviar. his caviar. It's a shame we don't have champagne or now, sour cream. Which is where I looked up, and yes, apparently you do often serve sour cream with caviar. I will admit that I have never actually eaten caviar, so I had no idea, but she said sour cream, like, sour cream? Yeah, So, no, I googled it, and yes, that's a thing. (laughs) Is it a thing? Okay. Like, I feel like it's probably not something you'd find at, like, a fancy dinner, though. I mean, like, it just sounds like no no one's going to put sour cream out at a, you know, black tie event. No. And I mean, caviar is like something you spread. I wouldn't think you'd have another, like, soft thing. You know, like, I don't know. I, I don't, I, I've never eaten caviar either, other than, like, so the occasion, like, I've eaten fish eggs on, like, sushi, but other than that, no. I've never even gone that far. So, yeah, but apparently it's, it's common, it's a common way to serve it, like, where you have, like, a a blini or or cracker or something that you have the caviar it's common to have both sour cream and caviar on it okay according to my quick googling and again i am not an expert on caviar so if you are an expert on caviar and want to tell us how we're wrong uh go right ahead (laughs) yes here's where we find out that there's a submarine involved that zukovsky was getting um and of course there's a place you can raise a submarine where they are uh, in Istanbul, I didn't realize the Bosphorus was that deep, but I, I honestly don't um, know how deep the Bosphorus is. No, here, here's where you find this is this is the movie where I first discovered that the FSB was a thing, because mm. I, you know, he's like former KGB, now it's the FSB, same same service, same great service, different name or something like that. He says, <laughs> same same friendly service. Yeah, uh, and, and this and this is where Mister Bullion leaves his his briefcase behind, which has a bomb in yes. it. Yes. And we think Zukovsky is dead at this point, I think. 
Or at least it's implied that he could be is dead. Is it even a... Is it a briefcase? It's kind of like a purse, really. Yeah. Maybe I'm just saying that because it's blinged out. I guess it is still a briefcase. It's just very gold because he's Mr. Bullion. Mm-hmm. Also, I, I like how there's just random uh, porn on the wall. Weirdly, that feels accurate to me. <laughs> well, it's not the first time we've seen random porn on the wall in a Bond film. That's, that's very true. <laughs> I do like... Oh, I mean, you see these other people that have, like, bunk beds right there so they don't even get to go home. Yeah. But, I mean... Bond films have taught us that you need to keep your porn locked up in a safe. <laughs> Only in Germany. <laughs> so we see the submarine, and we see that they're giving them brandy and refreshments, which are actually poison. Yep. Dun, dun, dun. And yes, uh, M... So is it a 9-volt battery? I guess it is. It kind of looks like one. Where did those wire leads come from? I mean, I understand them coming from the side that's attached to the battery. They're really long, for one thing. Way long for, like, the part that... Yeah. Where did she find these leads to plug into this card? I... Yeah. And it's amazing that they connect exactly. And that she knew which pins to connect it to. And I, like, they get this readout, and Bond immediately knows it's M. Yeah. He's like, locator card. Yeah. Well, he gave her the card. He, sure, but all all they're getting is GPS coordinates. So, I mean, I guess if they knew what frequency to check, but... Yeah. So this is where, you know, we, we, we're at the climax, where everything's building. Uh, mm-hmm. Bond thinks Zukovsky's dead because of the bomb. And yep. Mr. Bullion is very happy to be capturing Bond. Yeah, yes, he is. <laughs> and, you know, we're... With the the takeover of the Russian sub is complete at this point, we we find out that Renard is gonna go kill himself to serve Electra, so that's a thing. And Electra has this interesting chair that she yeah found that was, yeah that was like dug up yeah the yeah. Turkish torture chair that pushes his yeah that it doesn't look comfortable. I mean, this seems like it could have been a thing. It, yeah, I absolutely believe like the this way could have it, been it a pushes, thing. It pushes that rod into your neck. Mm-hmm. I think it's just an excuse so we get more of Pierce Brosnan's pain face here. <laughs> I really enjoy Zukovsky just coming in and shooting everyone. That's I, good. I like his... He, was, he just walks in. He's like, I'm looking for a submarine. It's big and black, and the driver's a very good friend of mine. Just the, the casual way he does that. And sadly, he does... Now get bite the bullet, but not before he sh- he shoots the. He's a very good shot for you know while dying, managing to shoot that manacle off Bond. While while dying, and I have to think that a gun hidden in a walking cane isn't the most accurate of weapons. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know. Like... And I and I do like how Electra assumes he tried to kill Bond. He's like, oh, he really hated you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we should say this is where they they talk about uh, she's chastising Bond for not getting giving in to her, and she said, I could have given you the world, and he said, the world is not enough. Ah, yes. Foolish sentiment. Yeah. And he says family motto, which dates back to uh, On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's a nice callback. Mm-hmm. Because I remember when the movie came out, and that was the title, and I was like, I wonder if they're going to say that that's his family motto or not. But And they did. So that was cool. Yeah. And I believe that also is from the books. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. The the motto is, yeah. I sort of lost steam while reading the books, but I will probably go b- get back to them at some point. They're not the best written books. Uh, they're fun. No, but, but... They, but they are, you know, they're in- engaging. I, I enjoyed what I've read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bond manages to sneak onto the submarine just before it leaves, so that was convenient. Well, I think we should go back and talk about the fact that he flat out shoots Electra. Yes, he does. Um, He's... which I think is the only time he kills a woman in the franchise, like at least directly. Directly, uh, you could argue that he kills Fiona Volpe. Yes, and I think we, I think that's where we brought it up. Um, uses her as a human shield almost. Mm-hmm. Now, I I have trouble with his line here. Um, you know, he's trying to get her to call off Renard with the radio, and he's threatening to. He's like, "I won't ask you again. Do this." And she says, "You won't shoot. You wouldn't shoot me. You'd miss me." Mm-hmm. And then he shoots her, and he says, "I never miss." Yes. Which I don't like that line because I like the way he's affected by the fact that he just shot her, like in the next shot. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's. I mean, he it's a good not... line, but yeah, you can tell that he doesn't really mean it. But it is a good line, regardless. Yeah, I, I, I get. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's him also trying to tell himself that. Maybe. That's a heck of a dive that he does off the pier right next to the submarine, too. Yes. Yep, and he manages to sneak onto the submarine, and hijinks ensue. He was going to make the submarine surface, but he accidentally breaks the controls and makes it dive. Right. And I like when Christmas Jones sticks her head around the corner, he's like, so we're going up then. And he's like, well... (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I like earlier on, you know, he's sneaking around, and Christmas Jones has been locked in this room and she hears this knocking at the door and he she opens the door and Bond's like using the guy's head to knock on the door. I think is kind of funny. Um, yes. So uh, I the, the the fight between Bond and Renard is decent. I I do like how Renard gets how, how finally Renard gets killed by the by his own plutonium. That's a good that yeah. was a nice. Yeah. I was expecting him to get impaled on the fuel rods mm-hmm. the first time I saw this, which would have worked too. Uh, and I and I like the the perspective here where you have the submarine that's on its side, so all the stuff is kind of at weird angles and things. I think is interesting. All right, so when Bond is climbing on the outside of the sub, uh huh, is that someone wearing a Pierce Brosnan mask? <laughs> Because it kind of looks outside? like it's so... Yeah, it, and you see the shot of him, the camera looking down on him as he's climbing up the sub. It kind of looks like a person wearing a rubber mask. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually... Like, I assume really it's not like... Pierce Brosnan, but, like, is he wearing a Pierce Brosnan Halloween mask? <laughs> Still better than the Patrick Troughton wig that yeah. <laughs> that that uh, not Timothy Dalton was wearing. Yes, that's true. Also, all the underwater scenes just make me think of Star Trek Four because that was probably the first movie I saw as a kid that had underwater scenes oh, where yeah, actors yeah, are doing yeah. things. This is another instance of Bond can really hold his breath for a long time. Yeah, like he even yeah, it's 
a very long. He even stops to check his watch at one point. Yeah, he's like, "Come on." Well, he didn't have a tie to straighten this time, so. <laughs> yeah, but then yeah, the final fight is decent. Uh, I, I I like the ambiance of the the water dripping from the well, not ceiling, mm-hmm. but wall that is now ceiling, and yeah, yeah, the and the fact that. Bond finally kills him with by ejecting the rod into his stomach. That yeah, that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of his "Welcome to my nuclear family" line. I think that's ah <laughs> uh, yeah, that's pretty bad. <laughs> it's not great. No. And where did the hydrogen gas come from? Because <laughs> all of a sudden the hydrogen gas level was too high, and one spark could make the whole ship blow up. Like what? Why? How? <laughs> Is this the Hindenburg submarine? I yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, but it makes for a cool effect when the sub, sub blows up. I guess. Yeah. Which of course they escape in the nick of time, and they get tourists just waving at them because they think that two random people in the middle of the water waving at them just want to say hi. Yeah. And then we of course have to have the scene where. People watch Bond have sex. Because we have somebody named Christmas Jones, we have to end this movie on a ton of really bad Christmas puns. <laughs> yes. I've always wanted I thought to Christmas, Christmas only comes once a year. Oh my god. <laughs> how is that the... Blo- how, how did they think that was a good line? Oh my god. Alright, so... <laughs> M knows exactly what kind of person 007 is. Yep. Why does she suddenly get all shocked with 007 when she sees that he is having sex? Because that's a call, that's got to be a callback to the Bernard Lee days. Yeah. Well, you know, Bernard Lee time, also knew, knows exactly. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, there's sometimes when he just makes the face. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what face I'm talking about, because Bernard Lee. Oh, yes. But... Yeah, the whole where she's like, it's getting redder. <laughs> yeah, double oh seven, and then must the be a stupid, premature like, form of the be... millennium bug. <laughs> yeah, that didn't age well. <laughs> Was that even a good joke then? <laughs> no. So for you know the entirely possible people listening to this podcast who have no idea what we're talking about, in 1999 there was this <laughs> theory that all computers would stop working when we hit 2000 because back in the 70s when they first designed computers they only gave them two digit dates and some things may have caused may might have ended up being a problem but it was way overblown and also they were all pretty much all fixed long before 2000 so it never actually happened right but anyway so i it would not surprise me at all that uh there are plenty of Gen Zs who have no idea what Y2K is. No, I I remember like midnight, the, every all the power is gonna go out and mm-hmm. <laughs> nope, nothing happened. I remember, uh, so I was I was thirteen, uh, and I remember I checked out like twenty books from the library just because I was afraid that like I wouldn't be able to for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> like, I, I thought, like, maybe the library, because the library systems might be down, and, like, TV might not be working, so, like, 
right. what else would there be to do but read? So I, I checked out a bunch of books in the library. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> I, I honestly don't remember what I did, but... I mean, I still ended up reading those books, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> still. Anyway. That was The World Is Not Enough. Yeah. And as per usual, you know, we were picking and picking at nits and whatnot, but... You know, as we said early on, uh, I think we both really like this movie. Oh, yeah. I, I think it hits a good balance of the the lighter stuff that you see in the Brosnan films, but not, but still tells a story that makes sense and isn't, it, it, it's, it's a little overblown, but not, it's certainly not like next week's movie. Yeah, stay tuned next week for something that is completely overblown. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There, there are no invisible cars in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then, yeah, next week's going to be interesting. There are no... Uh, um, the villain is not a Korean who's been... had plastic surgery <laughs> to look like a British person. Um, <laughs> who, as a result of that plastic surgery, no longer sleeps. Like, there's yes. like... Uh, <laughs> There's a lot that doesn't make sense about that part. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But as as I remember it, you know, we'll talk about this next week. Like, I I still, if I remember correctly, I think the first 20 minutes or so are quite good. Oh, yeah. The cold open and then, like, him, like, when he first comes out of the prison. Right, right up until he shaves off his beard. Mm-hmm. Uh is quite good um yeah but yeah thank you so much for listening to us this week if you would like to contact us you can find us on twitter at podspiel or you can send us an email at spielpodcast at gmail.com you can also find me on twitter at listening to film and you can find me on twitter at tyrannicus do you have anything else to say about uh, the world's not enough no but i'll just say that it's such a perfect place to start (laughs) 